welcome back to the Med School Tutors Podcast, your resource for high-yield tips and proven guidance to help reduce stress and give you tangible tools for success from pre-med through residency and the boards. Let's dive in. Hello there, and welcome to our latest in the installment of the Med School Tutors webinar series. We've got a fun one for you today. We're debuting a brand new webinar. I can smell that new webinar smell. Uh, it is learn how you learn and testing anxiety tools. Who gets anxiety during tests, right? Right, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. So my name is uh, Dave Del Negro. I am a senior emergency medicine resident, living the dream as the dream lives me. And with me, very exciting, soon to be Dr. Leah Gober. Leah, tell them. Hi guys, uh, I'm Leah. I'm a fourth year medical student for the next week. Uh, I'm at Mercer in Savannah, Georgia, and I'll be headed to Wisconsin for a vascular surgery residency starting in June. So pray for me. Um, and I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Because this is definitely something that's near and dear to my heart. I know it's something that's near and dear to y'all's. Um, and it's something that, you know, we all we all struggle with some level of. It's just some of us have it a little bit worse than others. All right. So what we're going to cover tonight is sort of a, a mix of the following. We really want to give you guys tools to walk away with this from that'll help you learn how you learn. We're going to go through the different types of learners. Many of you are going to recognize sort of the category that you sort yourself into naturally. But what I want to encourage you to do, especially as we talk through each one, is find a piece of yourself in each of them and sort of branch out. So we've got your, your visual learners, your auditory learners, reading and writing, and then your tactile learners which I feel like is me. I'm sitting there like touching my arm, trying to figure out which side the radial artery is on, the ulnar artery and that sort of thing. Um, we're gonna go through re some resources, reviewing and then sort of extrapolating. And we're gonna give you real world applications on how to experiment, how to review and how to extrapolate and cross these organ systems. And then we're gonna end this on sort of how to manage anxiety and, and different tools that we've both given to students and utilized ourselves over the past few years. The last part is, I think, by far the best, my personal favorite part, which is the Q&A. And basically, you can throw literally anything in the chat, uh, and Dave and I will do our best to get to it and answer it in real time here. So lots, again, learning styles, a lot of people are going to be multimodal. Um, but you do tend to identify with a specific style. There's your visual learner who likes to see things, your auditory learner who does best with listening. I feel like that's becoming more and more rare is the people who can listen to lectures and walk away with like really good understanding of the, of the topics. There's reading and writing, which is your rote learner, the person who writes the same thing over and over again on the board. That's like your blackboard utilizer, you know, you know who you are. And then there's the kinesthetic tactile learner who learns best about appendicitis by touching their right lower quadrant. And this can change from pre-med to med school, right? So pre-med was a little bit less of a fire hose and med school is 100% a fire hose. And even more intense is that it's an applicable fire hose. Like this is stuff that you're gonna go into the clinic and actually see. So the knowledge that you're gonna gain here is incredibly clinically applicable. Um, so just be open to this as we go through it and sort of pick your category, but also see where else you might fit. Anything to add, Dave? No, I think that's really good. And to a certain degree, your learning style oftentimes will change as you go from undergrad to med school because the examination tends to change too. Most of your undergraduate courses are a combination of eat and regurgitate on an exam. And you know, professors in undergrad aren't particularly great test writers. So you learn their patterns, you learn how they write tests, and then you just do that for a couple months. And that's not the case in med school. And that's certainly not the case for professional test writers for the USMLE. So where you have lots of extra time in undergrad to do really in-depth style study plans, read the book two or three times over, you just don't have that time in med school. And you're going to get squeezed and you, you have to learn to let go in uh, to some degree. 
that some things you won't learn. And that's, that's very hard for a lot of med students to learn to let go of the fact they're not going to learn everything because they learned everything in every college course they ever did. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's like we're all type A or something. <laughs> <laughs> so for the part about you know learning your style is sort of accessing your style. It, everybody sort of has a blend of some of those things that, uh, that Lee just mentioned, but usually you have leans. Like you may be a lean auditory learner or a lean kinesthetic learner. I learned by doing practice questions, and that's really so. I don't know if I don't know if that's cerebral or I don't know which one that sort of fits under, but like I guess you know words is really how I sort of learn. But like you learn that by trying different things, because in some ways you may find that your primary style doesn't fit you in certain places, and other styles will fill in that gap. Um, for example, I'm not, you know, it's really hard for me to learn biochemistry or genetics or toxicology or really detail heavy things by straight, um, what's it called? By straight practice questions. So talking through them with, uh, with, with friends and colleagues oftentimes lets them sink a little bit more. So, and then, you know, look and see where, what have you done well in the past? Um, what have you done well in the past? How did you get there? And, you know, I, and, and again, big fan of practice questions. And I know a lot of students sort of, the archetypal med student does a lot of more passive studying, first aid, reading in first year. And then as they move towards second year and step one, they start to trade some of that for, uh, more active style learning with uh, with Anki and um, practice questions. And a lot, you know, I hear it every time. You know, I've changed and evolved, and now I found a style that fits how I learn. So, you know, notice, notice your trends and, you know, pick what is useful and disregard the last. And you can also take a learning style assessment. There is a link in the chat that you can see called a VARC link, and it will help sort of delineate what your primary style is, how heavy you lean to that style, and how the other styles sort of complement your primary style. So it's always good to, uh, to sort of get a little bit of information about yourself and see, does it make sense with my preconceived notions? I thought I was auditory, but really I'm kinesthetic? And you get that incongruency and it forces you to think about whether you're studying the, the most efficiently you are or ask other people as well. Um, so yeah, so you, tell us about some of these. Tell us about people who use their eyeballs, these oh. visual learners. Yeah, so visual learners. I think I, I hear this a lot from students. They say, I'm a visual learner. I wanna, I wanna see things, I wanna put organize things into graphs. I really like the images on the first aid pages. So in general, for these people, it's gonna be pictures, graphs, images that are very helpful. If you're a sketchy person, then this really resonates with you. If you're also a pygmonic person, same thing. Now you can be a sketchy person and still be an auditory learner, right? So you can cross paths a lot of these different like bark criteria. The big thing for visual learners is going to be flashcards. You're going to want to see Anki over and over again. You're going to want to use things like Memorang. You really want to watch out for when you're sort of overutilizing your visual component, when your eyes are glazing over or you feel like you're on Anki card 300 and you're like, what were the last 100 Anki cards? I have no idea what I just went through. It happens to all of us. I think for, for these learners, you're going to want to schedule in times between, because vision is gonna be something that's really important to you and you learn best at, you wanna make sure you maximize your efficiency doing it. And so I would recommend for these students to do something like 20 minutes on for sort of visual type study and then 10 to five minutes off or five to 10 minutes off and then 20 minutes on and then extend that as you can. Um, you're going to want to use highlighting and underlining along with the text because it's going to keep you engaged and it's going to remind you where the important stuff is in your question stem and reading your flashcards out loud. So 
I used to think people thought I was crazy by doing this, um, but I was really glad to see this on this slide. Um, it's really helpful, you guys, to actually say things out loud. Um, and sometimes you say them out loud and you're like, wait a second, I thought I understood that and I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then again, take, some, take those breaks, schedule those breaks in. Just because you're a visual learner doesn't mean you can stare at the computer screen for two hours, right? So like, be kind to yourself and use those 20 to 30 minute blocks to their advantage. All right, Dave, what about our auditory or oral learners? Yeah, so as, uh, as sort of alluded to, you know, everyone's got their own different thing. And for those auditory learners, you know, like things like podcasts or clutch, uh, lectures, YouTube, Golian, Pathoma, the Golian audit audio lectures are still to this day, pure gold. Amazing. So, uh, you know, Pathoma. And the nice thing about them is, is you know, the beauty of step one, and there's not many beautiful things about step one, is that, you know, there is such an, such a great amount of really good resources out there. Um, back in my day, we didn't have boards and beyond. So we had Pathoma, we had Sketchy Micro, but not the other ones. So like you guys have these great resources and it's almost a buffet of these really good teachers. Now, not to, not to say that anything bad about your school's particular teachers, but not every professor is a good teacher. Let me, let me spoil that one for you. So it's really nice to have these on-demand lectures with some of the best teachers in medical education, your Hussein Tatars, your Dustin Williams. I don't actually know Dr. Golian's first name. Um, so the nice thing about this is you get the best of the best. And, and, and if you don't understand it by one, you know, you get a chance to look at it on a different resource and be, hear the thoughts of someone else. Hearing information in two or three different directions by two or three different people is a great way to break through sort of if you're stuck. Now, where you can get in trouble is a couple things. If you're trying to make perfect the enemy of good, you're going to find yourself running out of time. You can't, well, you can't listen to Pathoma all of it three times in a study plan. And I, and I tell my students all the time, you know, should I rewatch all of Pathoma this week? No, no, please don't do that. So you should watch it during your second year or whenever you have your path for that particular system. And, you know, you should review as you go otherwise. You know, if you are finding that you are weak in biliary pathology, you know, watch that video on biliary pathology. They, great, they make great review. A lot of times you can try and do too much or try and do biliary pathology with Golian and Pathoma and multiple when you don't need it, you're okay at that. Um, the other thing to, to watch out for is getting carried away um, by your thoughts too, because it's easy to sort of space out if you're watching a lecture. Um, I mean, that's the, that is the nice thing about some of the best lecturers like your, your Sitars and your Dustin Williams is that most of them aren't that long and they're broken up into little pieces that are meant for the, the human attention span, or as I say, the ER attention span. Um, so, but you just, you know, do a couple, try not to do four straight hours of videos. It's a, you start to get diminishing returns. So don't, you you're, don't get carried away, recognize when you're getting carried away by your thoughts and then go do something else for a little while. Yeah. And then pro tips, take notes and create flashcards as you listen. I was a big fan of, I never really annotated first aid, but I like to, I like to annotate pathoma. And I found that pretty helpful. And I could always sort of go back and look at it. Um, like I said, when you feel the lights are on and nobody's home, time to take a break, time to go eat something. So time to relax, recoup, regenerate, restart. Um, and like it says, and this is, this is a pretty clever pun here, fresh ears, equals clearer mind. I like that. So, I love it. Leah, awesome. what about our what about our friends who like to read and write? All right, you guys. 
you y'all are the 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 uh, blackboard people I talked about earlier, the ones who write things down and then erase it and then write things down again. If you have ever had that uh, gotten to that shock page in first aid with the up and down arrows and you've copied it over and over again, you're my person. I've done that a ton. <laughs> You probably have a ton of spiral notebooks, whiteboards, flashcards. You probably have so many notebooks just because you like them and then you only fill some of them. Um, and that's okay. What I want you to watch out for is writing just for the sake of writing. And I've had a few students do this who say, oh, I actually prefer doing this instead of you know, writing a note card or whatever. And I think writing during your um, sort of blocks first and second year is totally fine. What you don't wanna do is spend a lot of time writing during dedicated. Dedicated is a really precious time and you don't have a ton of time to spend, you know, writing out the entire reasoning for this, the uh, U-world explanation. You also wanna watch out for zoning out and, and the efficiency again, it sort of hints at you could just be writing for the sake of writing. Um, for you guys, I think summarizing the basic concept in a few words is a huge deal. So I tell students, if you're a writer and if you really, really want to take notes on your first aid pages or on your questions, do the same thing for each one. For every question, I want you to walk away with one line, one thing. Because the truth is you can probably get 100 out of that question or you could get 50 out of the first aid page. But are you really going to retain it? And the answer is no. So I want you to walk away with one. And just one line for each first aid page, one line for, for every year-old question. The same thing can go translate into note cards, right? One note card on each of them. Um, and then it's it's harder to retain info that's going to be typed rather than written by hand. So for any of you who are resisting the note card transition, totally fine. Still use your one-liner. And then mm -hmm. obviously, I think something I've seen consistently across all of these learners is make sure you take breaks. Like... Dave mentioned the ER attention span. It's real. You don't want to be inefficient and, you know, go past that time and just be essentially wasting time, right? You feel like you're going somewhere because you're turning a page, but you're not really because you're not tuned in anymore. So take breaks, be kind to yourself. Um, I think that's my like mantra. I've said it twice already tonight. <laughs> be kind to yourself. The, all right. What about our tactile learners? Oh, we've all seen them after, after anatomy lab on the exam, they're doing weird things like this. And they're going, oh, does that, does that really belong over there? So uh, that was me. That was you. That was everyone. So, but it's good too. You know, what you touch is what you see is what you know. So, and to like, Act, act stuff out too. It brings it to life almost. And for those who, who learn by that way, they find that it's that it really helps um, drive that content into a longer term you know, memory or storage. So mm -hmm. a lot of times if you know if you're sort of this tactile learner where you do a lot of moving and speaking, Make, make sure you're not copy and paste. That's the biggest thing. If you copy and paste, you are a stenographer, not a learner. And neurocognitive research sort of uh, confirms this. To go back to the previous slide where we talk about writing instead of typing, that's why people who write their notes instead of typing their notes end up retaining more because it forces you to synthesize what it actually means because you can't write as fast as you can type. You can type word for word, you can't write word for word after a time. So make sure whatever you're doing, it's novel. The novelty of it is what is your brain grappling with the material and that's where the actual learning comes from. So again, write out your flashcards, write out your notes. I'm a big person that says, you know, have one piece of paper for your notes for an entire day, front and back. And if you're writing more than one piece of paper, start cutting stuff out. So, um, and then watch out for, you know, spending too much time doing this. Again, like, this could be more of a time intensive thing because it requires a lot of, you know, critical thinking and creativity and it's very powerful, but if you lean into it too heavily, you can get pretty tired at the same time. So when used correctly as part of a good study plan, 
it's very powerful. Pick your spots to use this sort of thing and you will learn a ton. And then find things that work well for it, like, like neuro, MSK, anatomy, stuff like that that lends itself easily to tactile uh, learning. Um, so watch out for you know not getting through everything in the day because you're spending too much time doing this. Um, and then distractions too. The problem with being a tactile learner is you just want to touch everything else too. So eventually you'll you'll veer off track, and you know you got to stay disciplined and notice when you're sort of veering away from your primary objective. So. And then our pro tips for this one, checklists are great. They sort of tell you what you need to get done, what is not done for the day. Make sure to write a realistic checklist. You're not gonna, you're not gonna do an entire chapter of first aid, 120 year old questions, and your Anki all in like eight hours. Not gonna happen. So make sure you write yourself a study plan. I always tell students, write study plans with the assumption that they're gonna be 70% effective efficient that day because when you write it for 100 you're inevitably going to fall off and then you have to play catch up and it's impossible so give yourself more leeway than you think you'll need and you may need it and if you don't you'll be slightly ahead and then i think we're pounding this one nicely into the ground so take all the breaks so i like to tell my students to split their days up into thirds and a morning session, an afternoon session, an evening session. And normally those sessions decrease in hours. So like the first session is three hours. The second session is two and a half hours. The third session is two hours. So that as your day goes on, your sessions get shorter because your brain space sort of starts to shrink over time. You look forward to those sec second and third sessions because they're not as long. So... I really like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> make make it easy for your brain is one of my yeah. favorite things. So. Yeah. I feel like I do that naturally anyway, but actually like saying it out loud, it, it makes perfect sense. And it also, it, you would look forward to it, right? You'd yeah. Three, you want to. Three hours are done. If you eat your peas and carrots first, you'll be very happy when cake is coming. <laughs> eat the cake first. How excited are you for the peas and carrots? I love it. Too many, too many, uh, too many similes here. <laughs> speaking of speaking of, uh, of silliness, how do we learn how to experiment? Because I'm t I'm telling you guys, go do stuff, but like that's awfully open ended, is it not? Yeah. So I, I think the the big question here is how much time do you have? Are you a second year medical student who's still sort of like figuring out your learning style and you're starting to experiment in preparation for dedicated? Or are you some of our dedicated medical students or people who are about to enter dedicated who are like, I'm on a time crunch and I know that and I need to have my resources down before I start. And I have my students do this a lot. I want you to for the first block every morning, whatever you're doing, if you're you know, doing 20 questions before you go into class, or if you're doing 20, 40 questions in your dedicated period, I want you to ask yourself when you're going through your questions, when you're reviewing them, what helped me get this question right? Was it something you remembered from a prior UWorld question? Was it something you remembered from an AMBOSS question or an AMBOSS library explanation? Was it your class lecture? I was pleasantly surprised when I did this to myself, how many class lectures or clinical experiences I brought back home with me. And then Pathoma, Boards and Beyond, all of these. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna tally these up and you don't have to be using all of these resources, just your current resources. And what you're gonna find is let's say you do 20 UWorld questions and 10 of them you remember from Pathoma, even though you don't really like Dr. Sitar's voice that much. Well. As their tutor, I would tell you, you should still keep watching Pathoma because it's clearly working. And I, I think that's something that helps students a lot is actually seeing these numbers and saying like, wow, yeah, I like Dr. Ryan's voice and boards and beyond a lot more, but it looks like Pathoma is actually hitting my brain a lot harder. And then depending on where you are, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's a few weeks away from dedicated, you can do this every week and shuffle things around. So add in a new resource once a week you only want to add or remove a resource one at a time so you know what made the difference. You don't want to have, you know, 
you rolled Amboss and Pathoma going and then the next week switch all the way over to RX, Boards and Beyond and Sketchy, right? You wanna cycle them in one at a time. If you're in dedicated or you're entering dedicated and this time period may shorten a lot and you may already know sort of where you lie and what you like learning from. So it might be easier for you to remove and add resources. Something big that I, I think students sort of realize when I have them do this is that first aid can be a hit or miss. Some people really think that they gain a lot out of first aid. And then when they do their tallies, they come back and say, wow, like everything came from somewhere else. I really don't use first aid that much at all. Hmm. Um, so I encourage you, I challenge you guys to go do this for a few sets of questions and see what happens, see what you come out with. If it's what you think it is and what you predict, then awesome, keep doing it. If it's something new or you wanna try something new and see how that changes them, then I, I encourage that. Um, and then a lot of this is being honest with yourself. You really do have to ask yourself, did I learn this from Pathoma or did I learn it from that class lecture? Because sometimes you, you want it to be Pathoma, but it's not, or you want it to be a prior question, but it's not. So make sure you're being honest with yourself um, when you're doing this. And I, I find this is just a really um, helpful resource overall or an exercise. All right, Dave, any comments on this or any, do you do anything no. similar with your students or? And a, a, you know, it, I find that it's super helpful to sort of like go through what works for them. And I really like that, that whole be honest thing because people, so many med students, they're reading first aid or they're doing this, they're doing that because they're sort of, that's what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not entirely wrong. New world is new world for a reason. Um, but the nice thing about this whole slide of learn how to experiment is like it's, you know, there's not one magic bullet answer for everyone. Right. Um, so some people like Amboss better. Sure. So um, some people like Sketchy over Pathoma. So right. it's important. The earlier you can sort of start doing this and playing with different resources and seeing what the what you works for you, the earlier you'll be able to predict what works for you. Like yeah. if you're a heavy sort of, if you're a reader, then you may favor Goyans over over videos, uh, the the book for Goyans. So yeah. you know, the more you know about the set and more about you know about this yourself, the quicker you're going to be able to say these are my options. Of, of these options, this most likely fits me. Let me try it first. Because it moves from trial and error to actual scientific inference. Yep, and absolutely. And that saves you time. And the name of the game is work smarter, not harder. Absolutely. So some other exercises that, that I, I send students home with is categorizing your wrongs. So, um, I'm a little type A if you guys hadn't figured that out already. And part of the way that I manage anxiety and what we're going to talk about later is there are things you can control and things you can't. And sort of learning how you learn and learning how you review is something you can control. So you can tally up your answer choices and you can categorize your wrongs. So that's how I handle my anxiety. I hope you guys are able to walk away with some, some tools here. But when you go through your wrong answers, and I have students do this, especially for NBMEs, because they're more um, assessment. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> I to cross through my website. <laughs> Making an appearance. Um, so you, you sort of want to categorize your wrongs according to the, the following three categories. You want to say, this information is new to me. New information on an NBME is I want, not a red flag, but like an orange flag, depending on where you are in your study period. If you're one week before and you're seeing information that's new to you, that might be a red flag. If you've got four weeks to go and there's information that's new to you, then it's okay. We'll keep chugging along. Um, the second category is information that I previously learned but forgot. And the third is information that I previously learned, but I misunderstood the question. So each of these hits in three different types of people who may be deficient in three different categories. The information that's new means that you might require a really deep dive into some topics. It may not be all of them. It may just be like a big cardio review. 
information that you previously learned but forgot, I'm less worried about. That happens to everyone. What that might mean is that we need to up the questions and up the review of questions because that means that you're going to see things more and you're going to remember it a lot more readily. It also might mean that we add in some Anki and some note cards if we hadn't already, just because then you'll be seeing it even more often. And then information that you misunderstood is important because it's more of a test-taking sort of um, sort of deficiency that we would want to address by doing questions together and by really diving into how test writers are asking questions and how they can be tricky and some of the tricks that I know, Dave, you have a lot of things that you've learned along the way that test writers will word things in a specific yeah. manner and they they'll describe dactylitis instead of say dactylitis and you're like, oh my God, what sausage fingers? Like, so I think the misunderstood category is something that we also sort of up the questions and also step through them um, line by line to understand them the best. And then a lot of students come to me and say, I'm always 50-50. I'm, I always get down to the top two answers or two answer choices and I choose the wrong one. So the first step in sort of addressing this is using your markout tool. I'm gonna to go back to that uh, slide that said, be honest with yourself. We all wanna think we're 50-50 between the top two choices. We all always do, I know I do. You can sort of fib to yourself unless you use your markout tool and you see evidence of the, that you are actually 50-50 between the top two answer choices. And then I sort of want you to decide is the top two answer choices. So you get your percentages on New World, your percentages on Amboss and Kaplan that tell you how many people answered this. Or are you between two totally different answer choices? Were you completely off base? And that also helps if, if I was your tutor, then that would sort of help guide what we addressed in our sessions and, and what we sort of focused on calendar wise for you. Um, and then the last thing that I, I just always harp on with students, I'm really about big picture stuff. Like I really want you to be able to tell me why this patient is hypotensive and not sort of the mechanism of action or the mechanism that's going on downstream with vasospasm. Like I really want you to be able to say, oh, well, they did a lot of cocaine. So um, I think the big picture is a, is a really big deal. And it sort of comes back down to that one liner that you're gonna put or like Dave's one page of information per day. There is a big picture ticket item from that question or from that first aid page. And if you don't walk away with that, then the details don't matter as much. So anything to add here, Dave? No, I really like it. So, I mean, the, so, I mean, I sort of have the benefit of having taught test taking since the MCAT for, for seven plus years at this point. So like if you, and the nice thing about doing enough questions is eventually you figure out a lot of their tricks too. So yeah. like think, go back and sort of, when you have a moment, look through questions that are tricky. And on UWorld, that usually means 60-ish percent, 50-ish percent people got it right. Mm -hmm. The MBOSS question with five hammers that 9% of people got it right. <laughs> Next. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the, the U World one that has 88%. Nah. But like that, that 40, 50, 60 range is really the, the big money area. See what tricks the test writers have tried to put to disguise what is probably a fairly simple uh, concept or topic. Find the patterns because I find myself a lot of times. You know, I'll look at an answer choice and I'll be like, oh man, hmm, Prater Willie is never here unless it's here for a reason. And this is going to be about this, this, and this. Okay. And, or there, you know what I'd really like on this patient who has uh, a cough and uh, chills? I'd like a temperature. Why didn't they give me a temperature? Or why is there no, why is this person who's sweaty doesn't have a sugar? Is there sugar 20? Is that why? So, you, you know, re, re, reverse engineering the way the test writers think is very is a is a good advanced skill to yeah. work on because you'll figure out their tricks and then even if you don't know you'll it's it's a two hundred and eighty question test if you can give yourself you know ten percent or twenty percent better chance by marking out one additional one you're playing good odds over 280 questions or so. Um, you'll get a couple more right along the way. So. Yep.
Yeah. And then here's another big thing. Learn how to cross organ systems because that's how the test is headed. More and more, they're moving towards multi-system sort of multi-topic uh, test questions. Hold on. Razzle seems to be trying to assassinate my webcam again. <laughs> no, Razzle. Maisie better watch out. I know. No. <laughs> look at that cutie. I know. Look at this face. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when there's where there's topics to sort of cross, they love it. And I, this is one of the things I love working on my students for because they love testing basic science with a clinical lens. And there's not a ton of places where that always fits. So the places where it does fit become very high yield. So Wernicke, Korsakoff, thymine, that's the classic example. There's not a ton that they could ask you about like the vitamins, but like this one connects really nicely to neuro, which connects nicely to psychiatric. So where there is a connection between basic and clinical sciences, particularly the basic sciences, the, the genetics, the, the store of sort of more mundane stuff, be keen to that because that's where you're gonna find the question. That's where you're gonna find the questions that are gonna separate or stratify out students too, because everybody knows um, that, you know, ACE inhibitor has a dry cough by this point. That's not that's not new. Um, and then, you know, first aid is helpful here. This is one of the best places that first aid sort of functions as sort of a question review resource. You know, I've got this, I'm gonna look it up real quick and see, oh, that connects to this. I hadn't thought of that. And then what does that connect to? So you almost like you're resynthesizing, you're, you're synthesizing and resynthesizing new pathways with the material. Um, and we have some good examples. So yeah, start now, start today. These sort of advanced test-taking skills take time. And like anything else that takes time, it's pretty common to stink at it in the beginning, but that's okay. Go slow, go untimed and develop the skill. Use paper if you have to. You'll eventually you'll get so good at it you find you don't need the paper anymore. You can just do it in your mind. And eventually you'll get so good at it you won't have to think about it anymore. It'll be automatic at that point. And it's almost like the MCAT verbal reason. Ooh, remember that. <laughs> oh God, shivers. Yeah, reading between the lines. <laughs> um, Shitra asked, can you explain what you mean by use a PDF of first aid? So I... I usually say literally download a PDF of first aid. You can, you can find them online pretty easily um, and you can get the most recent version. You don't have to pay for it. Um, and and what, you'll, what I have students do is just use control F, control F onion. Whoever, who, anybody out there who's got first aid and is control Fing onion right now, there are three places you're gonna find onion skinning. One is in bone, one is in cardiac and one is in biochem. And super props to you if you can tell me what they are. Um, and then lipid-laden macrophages, which are the same thing as foam cells, you're going to find it in three places also. And these are three very different places. This is biochem, cardiac, and I guess GI. And sort of crossing organ systems like this reminds you that, well, in Neiman Pick, there are foam cells because it's a lysosomal storage disease and you can't get rid of lipids, right? Well, atherosclerosis, you have increased lipids in the blood which pile up into your cells and cause foam cells. So making those connections is, is huge. And the PDF of first aid is really helpful just because you, you don't have to flip through it. All right, cool. So nice, Nadia. Ewing is where it is. So it's onion skinning and Ewing sarcoma. Um, all right, so I wanted, we wanted to apply this, give you a little perspective on sort of these questions that um, that are really, this is for all you overthinkers out there. I know you know who you are. Um, so let's walk through this question together. So we've got a previously healthy 32 year old male. This is big. Whenever they tell you they're previously healthy, they're trying to tell you that there's not any predisposing condition here that's causing this, um, which actually plays a big role. He comes to the emergency department. This is another thing that I have students pay attention to. If they're walking into the clinic, this is likely, yeah, it's likely not something that's bothering them that much or not something that's definitely not life-threatening, right? 
Um, well, I guess it depends on Dave, if you're in, you know, rural yeah. Alaska, it might be life threatening, but um, he's had burning urination with urination for several days. He's also had pain in the right ankle for three days and pain and swelling in the left knee for one day. So this is not localized pain and swelling. He's got multifocal um, arthritic symptoms. On exam, he has a left knee effusion. He's got bilateral conjunctival injection. What else do we call that? If bilateral conjunctival injection is also called what, you guys? Uveitis, good. So uveitis or conjunctivitis. For this patient, it's uveitis. We wouldn't, I don't know that we'd be able to tell the difference between the two based on description unless they went into more detail on sort of where it is and how it feels. And then they're asking, which of the following is the most likely additional finding in this patient? So I picked this question out because I really wanted you guys to see how easy they can be and how difficult they can be because of how easy they are. So we could really dive into how this patient has reactive arthritis and how his burning with urination could be one of a few bugs, namely chlamydia or gonorrhea that's causing this reactive arthritis. But the easy way to go here is he has, oops, he has pain in his right ankle. Our answer is going to be, does anybody have a guess running through our answer choices really quick? Good, Nadia, it's the Achilles. So this is enthesitis. It's pain at the location of the insertion of the tendon. And it's a sort of sequelae of reactive arthritis. They literally told us in the STEM he had pain in the right ankle. For anyone out there who sees the answer in the question stem and then thinks, gosh, it's probably not that because they gave me the answer, I want you to rethink that because these test writers, they're good and sometimes they're that good, but sometimes they just wanna play with you. And it's sort of that reverse, uh, what'd you call it, Dave? Like reverse test taking? Yeah, reverse engineer that question and say, this person was trying to get me because they, they wanted me to overthink this. Mm -hmm. um, so I have students all the time who sort of see past these things. And these are the questions that I don't want you to struggle on. I want you to feel pretty confidently in them. So good work, you guys. Another thing too, like if you have outside knowledge, a lot of times bring it into the exam too. Like, yeah. Like a lot of times if you worked as like a tech or an EMT or a scribe or a medic. Like a lot of times you'll have experiences, not like to the depth of like all the pathology, but like I've answered questions correctly just cause I was an EMT and I was like, wait a minute, that's what I did. When I did this, uh, you're, you're allowed to bring in your life experiences. And a lot of times that'll allow you to get around whatever trick they're trying to throw your way. It doesn't work Absolutely. all the time, but it's one of those you know, logic will take you far on that Yeah. I have a lot of students who are like, oh, my grandfather has, you know, diabetes or hypertension. Yeah. And I really think about him when I think about these things. And I'm like, yes, do it, apply it to your daily life. And it makes it, yeah, it makes it so much more applicable. Good, great point. <laughs> this is a great photograph. <laughs> Managing anxiety. The best thing to do is, so I hear a pupper. I'm so sorry. Uh, he's he's <laughs> mine. He's waking up. Invasion of the pets on this webinar. Yep. <laughs> um, experiencing anxiety is normal. It is. It becomes pathologic when it becomes detrimental to your functioning in daily life. Uh, being a little anxious that step one is a really hard exam that's eight hours long is appropriate. Letting it consume you and not letting you actually study for it is considered debilitating. So big thing, know and ask others too. Ask your trusted family and friends and loved ones. Am I just stressed or do I look burned out to you? Because there is a difference. Um, so make sure you're not burning out. Make sure you're not depressed because that looks like anxiety. Yeah. Uh, anxiety is just sort of worriness and worriness can be normal. So first thing to do is figure, make sure it's nothing worse. But if it is just garden variety anxiety, you know, organize more and then worry less. 
And I am a serial offender of this one. Being in the ED, I love the thrill of leaving for work eight minutes before I'm scheduled to get there with the six minute walk. <laughs> I always get there at like 5:57 a.m. and I'm like, I did it again. <laughs> I'm here early. That's making uh, me anxious right now. <laughs> see, that's why she's talking to me. She's like 5:50 a.m. Why are you starting so late? Uh, um, so yeah, the more you organize, the less the less you're sprinting like I am, and the less the less the dread and the fear comes around. So take it from me, schedule, schedule. I use my Google calendar for everything. It just tells me what's happening in my life. And then I fix everything. I'm based on that. So take time off. So after this, I'm going to bed and sleep is good. Eat is good. I think I have some ramen waiting for me. Um, and exercise. I actually just came. We have a hospital softball team. The ER has a softball team. We had a practice tonight. So... And that's good because like, it's hard to be anxious when you're tired. So like my anxiety level is quite low right now because I'm just having fun here. And I know after that, there's a pillow and several cats waiting for me. (laughs) Anxiety, exercise, eat, eat well. Yes, you can go to Chick-fil-A or whatever you want. As a, as a sort of happy meal or, or Wendy's or whatever. Um, but eat well the majority of the time. Sleep well the majority of the time. Limit your screen time. Uh, rest your eyes. I feel like that's the most underappreciated organ is your eyes. Give them a break. Get plenty of sunlight. Sunlight helps with all of these, um, especially now that it's in the summer. Um, and then plan your days off and then plan open spots in your day off too. So don't cram them full of stuff. So, um, I have a three day week weekend coming up and I think I have nothing planned in it and it's awesome. And I'm so excited for it. So (laughs) everything in moderation and then continually ask yourself, am I doing okay? Am I anxious? Am I worse than anxious? But if you must sublime, look at me, step one high yield here, uh, (laughs) that anxious affect into something useful, you know, make sure you have an efficient study plan. Use multiple question banks. I'm a big fan of this. I used Rx and then Kaplan and then UWorld because Amboss wasn't being yet. Um, so I lived by the question, died by the question. So, um, and I really like this too. More question writers means you've seen more question writing styles because the USMLE and the MBMEs follow a pretty standard question style, but one or two questions out of every block are completely different style, language and syntax and context. And it's those ones that students anchor on and let them go nuts over. So I like doing multiple cue banks because it's multiple different people writing the same topic in different ways, such that when the real thing decides to describe onion skinning, instead of using the term and they use some words that you don't understand. Uh, for example, Leah, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I once got a uh, step two shelf practice question wrong because they used the term celiotomy and not exploratory ah. laparotomy because this is no longer the 1940s. <laughs> I was very salty because I was like, what's a celiotomy? So that's the tricks that they like to play. That's how a 70% new world question goes to a 40% new world question. Um, and then, you know, split your MBMEs. You are. You can do. You can do MBMEs all sorts of different ways. You can. Uh, you can do them. You can do. There's so many of them, which is nice. You can do all of them as is. You could do one on time to start, and just let yourself work on your timing without the clock hanging over your head. There's. You know, talk to your particular advisor, tutor, mentor about that, and then download your meditation app. Headspace, Insight Timer, Calm, all sorts of good things. Um, For me, I have the Alexa or the Echo or one of them. And 
I listened to a lot of smooth jazz on satellite radio. That is so you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so, watercolors is the station. It's Amazing. very good. And there's no words. And I don't want there to be words. Just want to let it wash over. So find what works for you. I can't do yoga. I can't sit in a circle. I have, I have no attention span to, to meditate. But like smooth jazz just calms me down. So find what works for you. Talk to other people like you. So as if you could not tell, I have, uh, you know, fulminant ADHD going on over here. So um, if you have ADHD, talk to me or talk to someone else with it. Because I'm sure at this point at the PGY3 year, I probably have done a couple things that you may have not tried yet. And vice versa, I'm sure you have some ways that work for you too. Yep. So how do we manage this anxiety? One nice thing that we could do is, and this is a shout out to Faith, our boss, the, 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 the awesome woman behind the curtain, um, who sort of brought this to us, you know, split your life into things that you can control and that you cannot control. And you will line, you'll find that there are not many things you can control. Um, you can control your effort, your attitude. Um, you can control some parts of your schedule. You can control some parts of your eating, your sleeping and all that. But like, that's it. You can't control the rest of the world around you. And there's a good quote, I wanna say it's by Jerry West, the old NBA player. And it says, if you only, if you only train on days you feel good, you're never gonna get anything done. And I try and tell that to my students a lot because like most of your days are going to be like not perfect days. Every once in a while you'll hit in that zone and you'll work at 100% efficiency, but most of the time you're 70% efficiency. So get good at being good during average days because putting good effort in those days is gonna to lead to a multiplier effect over time. So, and it's those little things that add up over a year or two. And also to your point, you can't predict what test day is going to be like. Is it going to be a day that you're feeling 70% or a day that you're feeling 100% or is it 70% and the endorphins are going to carry you all the, all the way, yeah. you know? So it, it sort of goes into that. I also think something that's really good is I, I want you guys to actually go home and write this down. And if you have to take it into an MBME with you and put it on a piece of paper beside you and say, what is within my control is this block. What mm -hmm. is out of my control is the previous block. So I can't let that get into my head. What I can do is do well on this one. And what I can do is read every question fully. What I can't do is wish that they'd given me the temperature on this patient, yeah. right? So things like that are, it really, and having it beside you, I'm, I'm a big like daily affirmations or like test taking affirmations person too. Like writing, I do know, I do know this. I do know a lot of things. I just need to apply it. Sometimes just seeing that while you're taking a test can be really helpful. So seeing this while you're taking a test, I think can also be like really helpful, especially for those of us who are, you know, a little bit anxious. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things, too, if you make it a habit, it will help prevent burnout to a certain yes. degree. Um, and I give a good example. Um, whenever I discharge my patients, I usually dictate my uh, discharge instructions. And they go something like, ah, I return to the ED for worsening chest pain, shortness of breath, blah, 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 or other things that concern you. Follow up with your primary doctor in a week. We hope you feel better soon. And I could easily turn that into a dot phrase. Everything else in my life is a dot phrase or a macro. But like, I try and leave that to be ad hoc because it reminds me why I'm doing it every time I send someone home. And it's a small slice of gratitude before I have four people that just got put into my ER. So I now have to go sprint and see them. So like find your affirmation thing. And science says, if you don't make it a pattern and don't make it a rhythm, you won't use it. For me, discharging people was my rhythm. So it's a beautiful thing to get to send someone home. And then I get to celebrate it with a little bit of, we hope you feel better. Um, 
That is really cute. <laughs> All right, so to sort of summarize, um, we, again, we're MST, we're a group of, you know, attendings and residents and medical students who are really here for you guys. Some unique things we do, we, we do this custom study schedule, we really tailor it to each student's specific goals, your specific strengths. I personally don't harp a bunch on weaknesses, but I, I, I think targeting weaknesses is a, is a, a good thing. And the, the big thing is progression and timeline. So it changes as you go. And sometimes we'll try Enki in the morning. Sometimes we'll try Enki later in the day. I think having someone who really helps you and stands beside you and says like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea, or I've absolutely seen people be successful doing this is really helpful. Um, the big thing we do, and I think what Dave and I would probably agree is our favorite part of the job is adaptive tutoring sessions. I have so much fun during my tutoring sessions with you guys. We really dive into questions. We do some deep content dives. We talk about your assessments. We talk about your NBMEs, um, your AMBOSS assessments, and we track your performance. So we are here to make sure that you're progressing as needed and that you're meeting your goals. We are available all the time. So something super unique about MST is that you will get my phone number, you will get my email, and I want you to text me. I want you to call me. I want you to email me. I want to see pictures of questions that frustrated you pop up on my screen because I want to be able to walk through them with you. Um, and really, I, I tell my students, whenever you need me, like, please communicate with me. It's one of my, my big um, key lines that I really, I really want y'all to understand. Some other things we offer accountability, you know, I tell, I, I tell my students, I will be a helicopter mom if you want me to. I will sign into your UWorld every day and make sure you did it. If you don't want me to be a helicopter mom, I won't, but I'm really good at it. And I'll send the encouraging, like sort of snarky text messages like, oh, I saw you got one block done today. When were you thinking about doing two and three? <laughs> um, <laughs> And then we, we obviously, we, we offer mentorship. This goes beyond step one, step two, step three. Um, I've seen it in my, in my fellow tutors and I, I've implemented it myself. I really want to be there for you guys through any questions that you have. And then support and guidance just in general. Um, we also offer these planning sessions, like one-time strategy sessions. So you could come to us with a you know, a calendar and say, what do you think? Or come to us with an idea and say, has this worked before? This is a little out of my comfort zone. What do you think? And then we do ERAS consulting and uh, board tutoring too. So um, all of these things are, are, I think, incredibly unique to MST and also part of what makes our jobs so incredible, which is you guys and the access that you all have to us. So anything to add, Dave? Are you ready to Q&A? Let's do it. All right. So we have a few questions in the chat, but we really encourage you guys to keep sending them in. So just to, just to talk to um, the question, why do they emit key info like a tamper blood glucose? A lot of times they remove key info in order to, uh, um, what's it called? They remove it to order to not make it so obvious. If they want you to, if they want to test the external manifestations of hypoglycemia, sweatiness, chest tenderness, anxiety. If they tell you that the blood sugar is 23, you're not actually gonna test the external manifestations of hypoglycemia. You're just gonna recognize that they have low blood sugar and anyone can do that. So a lot, sometimes it's order to mask the obviousness of it. Other times it's, ordered, it's in order to make you rely on other factors or features of that particular disease to test those particular factors and features. So Keyshawn said, what tips do you have on reducing test anxiety on day of, like going into a new test center, noise level, et cetera? So in terms of going into a new testing center, I really encourage you guys to try to take the free 120 early in your testing center. So if you haven't heard of the free 120, I want you to Google it, just free 120 step one. There's a free 120 for step two. You can do this for both exams. You can call your test center and make an appointment to come in before your test day. And what you'll do is you'll arrive, they'll simulate everything as if it was test day. You'll be you know, surrounded by people who are doing similar things. You'll understand where the bathroom is in relation to your testing center, where the lockers are. 
um, how heavy the headphones are because that's a pain sometimes, like a literal pain, like it hurts your head how heavy they are. Um, so I think that is a huge deal, especially for those of, uh, of us with anxiety. In terms of noise level, um, I think that goes into, remember that list that you're gonna make of things I can control and things I can't control? So the things you can't control is noise level. You can't control, you know, if the person beside you is taking a test that requires typing, which I'm so sorry if so, it was, I, that happened to me. You really just have to power through it. Um, and I think putting that in the category of, I can't control this, but I can't control how I read this question and I will not let it bother me. Um, so, you know, organize those, can control going in the test center early, can't control noise level. And then at home, I would recommend like, simulate your environment to, as if it was optimal. So don't go out on the street and take the test just because you might be surrounded by noisy typers. Definitely be at home in a quiet room simulating your test. Um, did that help? I hope that helped, Keyshawn. Let me know if you have any more questions, okay? Um, great question, Keyshawn. Um, there was a good one in here, um, oh, by Bryce. Um, any recommendations help talk yourself out of a test out of the right answer? Um, I see this one a lot. And I usually tell people, follow your pattern in your world. Once you get to like 30, 40, 50%, you will have the, you know, it tells you how many times you've picked, you've switched from the right one to the wrong one um, or vice versa. You know, get the data. Are you someone who, you know, most of the time switches from the wrong one to the right one? or switches from the right one to the wrong. So for me, it was about a two to one to three to one ratio. When I switched my answer choice, I'd go from wrong to right versus right to wrong. So I learned over time that um, if my gut told me that it was the second choice, that th three out of four times when I changed it, it I was right. So therefore, I was, I was smarter to do it overall. For some people, it's the opposite. Um, just a quick one for Nadia, uh, any suggestions to optimize sleep the night before the exam for the entire week before the, um, the exam sort of, you know, start winding down, make if you're, if you have to be up at 5am and you're going to bed at 9pm, go to bed at 9pm every night that week, and then add another 30 minutes the night before, cause you're just going to have to factor in, you're going to have to price in that you're gonna be super anxious that night. And you know, I tell people lay down with nine hours before you have to wake up. Because even if you lose an hour to sleep problems, well, look, you still got eight hours. If you lay down with seven hours to go and you lose an hour, uh-oh, now we're at six. Now you're thinking about your numbers of hours. Um, and someone once told this once for me, because I used to I used to panic on like, oh no, it's it's midnight. The whole day is ruined tomorrow. So don't let don't let sleep dictate your entire day. You may be a little more tired, but like, don't, don't let it, because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Your anxiety is making you not sleep at that point. So like, don't let sleep be the reason. Don't, don't, don't let yourself hang, your, hang that hat. So tell yourself, if I'm not sleeping well, I'm going to do the best I can tonight to fall asleep. I'm going to do the best I can to tomorrow, even if I'm a little tired. That frame of reference instead of, oh no, I have five hours, 24 minutes, 33 seconds, if I fall asleep now, um, is gonna let you get there a little bit faster. Yeah. So Shelly asked, oh, I, was gonna, I was gonna repeat Shelly's. So she asked about um, when you answer a question incorrectly in New World, is it better to write the educational objective or the main point of why the question wasn't answered correctly? So I think this depends on, on the student. If you are, if you understood the main point, you just answered the question wrong, then I think targeting your weakness, your very specific weakness of, oh, I understood what it was asking. I knew it wanted me to tell them, them the mechanism of you know, a macrolide antibiotic but I forgot the mechanism, then that's your answer. You really want to target your weakness. That's what I, when I have students use Anki cards and write questions on their questions, 
I really want them to write a question that specifically asks, what did I need to know to get this question right? And what do I need to know so that next time I do get it right? Um, I think this where where the main point or where the educational objective comes into play is sort of when you're you, we've all been there. We're like rooting through a question. We're like, there's so much I don't know. There's so there's so many areas where I could have used this to get it right. And I have no idea where to start. That's when your main point comes in. Sometimes it's better to walk away with just an understanding of, you know, macrolide antibiotics in general than the very specifics of what they were asking. Um, and I think that's, so it, it depends on the question. And I think you can play with both ideas. Um, I think if you're an experienced, you know, question taker and you're in like week three or four of dedicated, then targeting your weaknesses is probably the best option for you there. Right. I usually tell my students to um, um, try and synthesize what you think the educational objective is and compare it to what you world thinks it is. Yeah. There's no better way of saying, am I even close? Or, yeah. oh no, that was not it at all. So, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's, pardon the pun here, it's objective. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, if you wrote, if you wrote down your sentence, it should be no more than one or two sentences at most. Um, and it is, it is not what the educational objective is. That's a clue that, you know, some, you know, some, you know, you got to think about that question a little bit more, right or wrong. Right. How did I arrive that I thought this was important when they thought this was just a side piece or something like that, a peripheral importance? Yeah. Um, All right. Well, you guys, there are a few questions we didn't get to, um, but we do have to wrap up for tonight. So please, we encourage you to reach out to us. Dave and I are both active tutors um, and we, we love hanging out with you guys and meeting you guys. So please reach out if, if you have any questions that didn't get answered. Any final words, Dave? Always remember why you're doing it. And find the little things that tend to make people happy as well, too. Whether it's uh, little little notes in your discharge instructions. Um, I tell I, I tell all my, my old people, have a blessed day. And they love it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, the, it's the daily affirmations for, for yeah, test takers, you know? Like, little things. So, like, yeah. find... Find the good in the unfortunate. And <laughs> to to borrow from, I wanna say the army. My brother's my brother's a uh, guardsman. Their motto is embrace the suck as well. So uh, a little little blunt, but like it's, it's gonna the study cave is stinks, but like embrace it because there's so much waiting for you on the other other side. So Yep. All right. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful night. And y'all are awesome. Have a good one. Be well. We hope this was helpful and that it took some of the guesswork out of the equation for you. If you have any questions or would like one-on-one tutoring, get in touch with us via our website, medschooltutors.com, via email at hq at medschooltutors.com, or give us a call, if you're old school like that, at 212-327-327. 0098. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and review us on your podcast app. And if you want more helpful, free information, visit our blog, check us out on social media at MedSchoolTutors, or visit our forum at usmletutors.com. Thanks for listening. Be well. <laughs>